discovered the cure for getting sick. I think you get older you get, the less you get sick. So you just get old. You ever notice that? It's young people that get sick. Huh? You ever notice that? So you just get old. The older you get, the less you get sick. <laughs> Amen. So age oughtn't to be bad at all. I'm almost 68 years old, and I don't get sick near as often as these young people do. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think we just keep going. Well, you learn that. And maybe maybe it's the way you're raised. I don't know. My, my dad used to kick me out and say, Get going. You don't feel any work than I do. We are going to speak. Now, we have been speaking on the fivefold ministry. We have covered apostles. We have covered prophets. And of all the things I think that we will deal with, this is probably the most important part of our lessons. And we're going to deal with false prophets and different types of them and what goes on. And the devil does his work well, of course, when people ought to be in here to listen why he works on them and they don't come. And they don't think enough sometimes of the Word of God to even get a tape to find out. I just talked to a man not too long ago. In fact, it was last week. And he sat down and he said, Brother Hoskaw, my life is messed up. It's in shambles. I'll never get it back together. And he said, if I would have just listened to at least a third of the things you taught me at the Apostolic Church over the years, I wouldn't be in this mess. And now he said it. I don't know how many might think it or might know it, but that is the what happens to lives that don't listen, where there's no respect for the Word of God. You listen to it, doesn't going to apply to you. He said, I never thought that anything could ever happen like this happened in my life. And yet he said, when I look back over some of the messages and some of the notes I've taken and a tape or two that I have, I see that you was talking to me all the time and I didn't listen I just said that to say this when when we speak from the pulpit and it's in the word of God and I'm going to say it again doesn't matter from who it comes from you need to listen to it because we're entering into some very dark and precarious days I mean if we got any eyes at all as far as Christianity is concerned it's being attacked it's being put asunder God's people is under the attack of the enemy greater than it ever been and the part about it is it's not going to let up. Right. So we have one recourse, either get closer to God or be taken in by the falseness of the enemy. Right. 24th chapter of St. Matthew, the 12th verse, and 11th, well, let's put to 10. And then shall many be offended, and you go ahead and read the rest of that, and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And then on the, we'll not read, you read the rest of the chapter, but in the 24th verse, it simply says, And there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. I want us now to turn, while we're standing, to Revelations the 16th chapter and we read some of the happenings that's going to happen after the opening of the sixth vial the sixth seal and in it is the sixth vial of the wrath of God 
and uh, see some of the things that's going to happen in the last days, perhaps getting ready and setting the stage to happen now. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth into kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they shall see his shame. And he gathered them together in the place which is the Hebrew tongue, army Gideon. You may be seated. We appreciate your standing. The vital issue, of course, is to be able to distinguish false prophets from true prophets and false prophecy from true prophecy. And it's a vital issue that we have to recognize that false means it's perverted and it's warped and it's evil. False prophets are themselves deceived and so naturally they believe they have the truth. Most of them, most ministers, most people that is preaching erroneous doctrines believe they have the truth. And deception is a major sign in the last days according to Christ in Matthew 24, 11, 24, and 25. And we just read that, that to you and also Revelations. And the scripture seems to clearly indicate that there's going to be accelerated activity of evil spirits in the last days. Yes. Now these evil spirits are working cunningly even today. There are spirits that cause sickness. There are spirits that cause weariness. Spirits that cause despondency and discouragement. Spirits that move themselves into lives, and that's just little ones. And eventually after that, to lead a person from the truth and get him into the erroneous things. It's vital. Truth is vital. Saints, I can't say that enough. Truth is vital to deception. You see, without enough truth mixed in, error is not accepted easily. We've said that often. You have to remember that rat poison is 99% pure wheat, and yet it's deadly. All right? Right. So you can have 99% pure truth and insert some little erroneous thing inside to lead people astray, and it's deadly. It's not hard for a Christian to recognize, uh, especially if they're... Uh, very studious at all, they'll recognize something that is false completely. It's not a big problem for it. Somebody come in and say something false completely and they recognize that. But a lot of Christians are not studious enough in the Word of God, don't read enough, don't pray enough, don't fast enough, don't seek God enough to know the full truth. And so, best to add a little truth to it and it seems pliable and feasible, And so they are taken in by that. And eventually it leads them into complete erroneous doctrines. Now, revelations, and there again, if you don't write the scriptures down, and if you don't make this a home study, you're not going to get out of it what it needs to be got out of it. I don't have time to read every one of the scriptures, and you need to fix it in your notes. If you make them at all, you need to fix it in there so you know what these scriptures correlate with and go home and read them, all of them, and uh, make them a part of your study at home. You see, any time you go to school and you have homework, at least you ought to have. I think the children complain of that a lot. 
And we come to church and we feel like we don't need any. But when we come to Bible study, we need our homework. We need to search the scriptures out. And we need to read them. You'll probably run across a lot of them that I haven't even mentioned. But if you'll just check these out and read them, you'll find out that it's talking about things that's going to happen in the last days. Revelation 19 and 20 and 21 shows us that the followers of false prophets is going to, be, going to be punished with the same judgment that the false prophets are. And here's some general references to false prophets in the Old Testament. Now, Jeremiah seems to be the greatest writer concerning false prophets. Uh, sometimes God picks out a writer and they write more on one subject than they do another. And if you read Jeremiah, in fact, the whole book, but I've picked out some scriptures if you don't have time, that if you'd read uh, uh, in Jeremiah, you would find that he speaks more on false prophets and he tells you what to expect in false prophets. I'm going to give you those scriptures. I'll read one to you, but I'm going to give you the others. I'm going to read to you Jeremiah 5, 30, and 31. Now, this is what Jeremiah says. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end thereof? You see, it's almost current. You can almost say that prophet was prophesying in 1995. Because what he's actually saying is it, it, the prophets prophesy falsely, the priests bear rule by their own means. doesn't make any difference what the Bible says. And the people like it. The people like it. And then he says, and what will it do? What will ye do in the end thereof? You see, there must be a search, humbly and from the heart, a desire for the truth. It's going to be the only thing. We're going to list in a few moments some of the things uh, that you can do to recognize false prophets, but number one is going to be truth. Jeremiah talks in 23:16. He says, They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, these are just excerpts uh, from these that you can read more of. Verse 17, he says, Walketh after the imagination of his own heart. Verse 26 says, Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. And verse 32 says, prophesy, they prophesy false dreams. And then Ezekiel picks up on that in the 13th chapter and the 2nd verse. And he says, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own heart. Woe to the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Set thy face, verse 17, set thy face against the daughters of thy people which prophesy out of their own heart. Now, we're going to deal a little bit on Deuteronomy 18, 20, and 22, but it speaks of prophets that speak presumptuously. Now, that word presumptuous here means they speak out of pride. Uh, through pride, which is self-conceit, one naturally falls into self-deceit which is the shortest route to heresies and delusions. You see, what it's saying here is self-conceit brings self-deceit. And any time we get proud in our own life and proud in our own heart and get to the place where we don't feel like we can learn anything from anybody is that we know it all and don't even search the Bible. That We become conceited and then we become deceived. 
We have some individuals that do that. They have become so proud that they feel like if there's anything that they need to know, God will just talk to them about it. You know, and even leaders like that, that feel like they can't learn anything from anybody else. And that, uh, that is pride there, and it's self-conceit. Uh, individual is conceited when you feel like you can't learn from a messenger regardless of who they are. There's going to say something in the Word of God from a messenger that you can learn from. And we ought to have our spiritual antennas up, and we ought to be concerned about the Word of God. Right. Sure, we may have our choices, but the Word of God is the Word of God, and when it comes out of a mouth, we ought to believe it. That word heresy means choose or a choice or choosing, and that's somebody that acts independently of their own choice. They're not influenced or checked by anybody else, and they become independent, or in other words, a law unto themselves. What they say is fine, doesn't make any difference if the Bible speaks out directly against it or not. They feel like that they themselves are a supernatural saint, that God gives them the privilege of just denying the law that he's placed on everybody else. And so they have the privilege of just walking as a law unto themselves. Now these are people that prophesy falsely, often wind up in all sorts of delusion. You see, sin starts with a great transgression. That's rebellion, and of course that's the pride of life. That started in the Garden of Eden, and it hasn't stopped since. And every one of us, listen to me, every one of us has to fight the pride of life, and we have to continually battle against rebellion of God's Word. If it doesn't come across like we think it ought to come across, look at it, see whether it's in the Word of God or not. If it's there, believe it and don't rebel against it. If it challenges your way of living or some of the things you've said or done, believe it, get on your knees and repent of it and go on with God. That keeps us, of course, from being swayed by self-deceit. Now then... There is, of course, a satanic spirit that we need to understand. It moves upon lives. We first need to get the human spirit part of it, which is what we covered just a while ago. The human spirit, write that down. And all the things we read before in Jeremiah talks about somebody prophesying out of their own spirit. And now then, here's the satanic spirit that they prophesy out of. There's three spirits that individuals can uh, be used by the human spirit, the satanic spirit, and the Holy Spirit. And they all sometimes sound just alike. I mean, it's hard to distinguish sometimes whether you are prophesying out of your own desires and your own heart, or whether you're prophesying out, out of uh, an angel of light, or the enemy comes and deceives you because it looks good, and you say some of those things, or whether you're actually under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, this takes a lot of prayer. This takes sensitivity to God to understand. A lot of people don't mean to do wrong. We've had a lot of people that have uh, seen diseased people, and they want so badly for them to be healed, and so badly for them to, uh, to, to uh, turn aside and turn around that they just simply say some things that they feel in their own heart. They haven't waited for the Spirit of God to speak to them. Not too long ago, and a very young person that we knew, an individual came into their room, didn't know who they was, and prophesied and said, God is going to heal you and get you up out of that bed and all of this. And it just seemed so real. And the parents was telling me about it, and I said, well, we'll just have to pray about it and see that the young lady died. 
and it devastated them. Now, they didn't mean anything bad, but they were speaking out of the desire of their own heart, what they wanted to happen. And we have to be careful when we do that. Because when somebody gets sick in our congregation or somebody close to us, and sometimes we feel like we got a word from the Lord, it is what we're wanting, and so we speak it. But we don't see the end results. We don't understand that if it's not God speaking, God is not going to honor it. He only honors His Word. Amen. He don't honor mine, but He honors His. If I'm speaking His Word, He honors His Word. Amen. And He doesn't honor your Word. If you speak it, and it's not anointed by the Holy Ghost, if it's just what you want out of your life, God's not going to honor it. I don't understand why God doesn't do a lot of things. And I'd like to be able to walk up to people and take them by the hand and say, you're not going to be sick anymore. You're not going to be diseased anymore. Uh, you're not going to have any problems anymore. Whatever you're bearing, you're going to be healed by it. I'd like to do that. But I have to be careful, and so do you, that God tells me to do that. Amen. That the Holy Spirit moves upon me. It's all right, and we need to pray for them. But let's be very careful when we start speaking to them about what is going to happen. Let's be very careful that it's not what we want. That it's what God wants. Sometimes we just get in God's way. So then there's a satanic spirit, the spirit of the devil that comes. And the Bible says in actually a literal translation of Jude 9, as these are they who separate men governed by soul not having the spirit. And the Bible also says that they will come in as angels of light. In other words, they are so, so cunning and, and seem so spiritual and clothe themselves as angels of light unless we know the truth, sensitive to God, understand what the Spirit of God is, we'll be taken in even by satanic spirits. He's not going to just jump out and tell us to worship Baal and to worship false gods. He's just going to try to lead us slowly away from the true God. Get us, first of all, to quit following the commands of God. Get us, first of all, to be ignorant of them. And then keep us from following them. And think that God is a merciful God anyway. He's going to see us through. And uh, those things the devil tries to do. You see, since all of these work through men, these spirits, it's difficult to determine where one ends and the other begins. So this distinction should be made. Those that are saved, yet involved in a degree, degree of delusion, that's soulish prophecy, doctrine, behavior, and all of that. There's those, and then there's those who have not the Spirit. They are not saved, and they're controlled and used by evil spirits. Now, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 12 talks about that. Now, I'm just going to paraphrase that a little bit. And you get into there and read that. It speaks of the man of sin that will be destroyed by Christ's coming. Whether one sees this as a system of the Antichrist or a system of, uh, that's crystallized in one head of the beast, it's true that it portrays man. This is man whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. In other words, Satan working through man, bringing strong delusions. You need to check Revelations 13, 11 to 18. 16, Revelation 16, 13, 14. And then Revelation 19 and 20. 
Now in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, and that's one of your home studies, Paul shows that false apostles and prophets are in reality ministers of Satan. In fact, all sinners are captive to Satan, being led about by Satan's will. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy about that in 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, that is very clear that these individuals one time walked in the faith. They're not individuals that's out there someplace, scattered out, that don't know anything. These are individuals that one time walked in the faith. You have to be someplace before you can depart from it. And so it's actually talking about individuals that one time was in the faith of God. Failed to get rooted and grounded in it, of course. But at one time was in the faith of God. And then they gave heed to seducing spirits. Little spirits that goes around seducing. Seductress. Seductresses. That could be in human instrumentalities. Okay? Or that could be just simply demonic spirits that come to us at certain times, especially when we are not prepared for them, especially when we are, are at a low ebb, ebb and flow of our experience. Then's when the Word of God is necessary. Then's when you need to know your Bible. Then's when you need to know whether they're speaking to you erroneously or not, or whether they're trying to get you to do or say something that you shouldn't say. If you don't know the Bible, you won't be able to do that. It says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, they have become hypocrites. They have become individuals that still claim to know and still claim to hold fast, but their religious experience is gone and their conscience is seared with a hot iron. In other words, you can't touch their conscience. You can't deal with them with the Word of God. And I question whether that isn't happening in lives today. I really believe it is. Because you can face individuals with their wrongs. They're not real, what you would call big, serious wrongs. But they are enough that uh, keeps them from growing in the Lord. And you can face them scripturally with their wrongs, and it doesn't face them. They're not touched by that. They don't feel any wrong in that. And I've heard people that say, well, I don't see why God goes ahead and just blesses me anyway. Well, He's a merciful God. He'll do that to an extent because He loves you, but He's wooing you. He's not patting you on the back and telling you that's fine. He's just simply wooing you and trying to tell you that He loves you and He don't want you gone. But conscience seared can't touch them, can't reach them. And that's happening, and it will get worse, of course, as we uh, enter into the last days. It'll, it'll get worse and worse and worse as we go on into that. You see, that's, again, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. For some more of that, you might want to check in Isaiah 8, 19 and 20, and Matthew eight twenty nine. And Acts 16 and 17. Now then, why do you think that false prophets and false doctrines flourish? Why do you think that they just grow? 
Turn your television on sometime. I'm not saying they're all false, but turn them on sometime and listen to some of the things they propagate and some of the things they say which is completely contrary to the Word of God. You need to know that. They may be charismatic. They may hold their mouth right and they may talk just right. And they may stand just right and make the right gestures. But what comes from their mouth is that truth. Is that all truth and nothing but the truth so help them God. So you need to be able to check on them. You can't swallow everything that comes over the airwaves. You can't swallow everything that comes from pulpit. Check it out, saints. Check it out. Amen. And see if it's in the Bible or if we're in the Bible. Whoever speak concerning that. Now then, the reason that false teachers and false doctrines flourish it's because people demand it. They don't want their little playhouse to work. They want to go ahead and do what they've always done, the way they've always done it, and they don't want anybody to bother them with the facts. First Timothy talks about that, Paul telling Timothy back then, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now it's hard, saints. There's doctrine that won't, that won't make you shout. I mean, it'll cut you to the core. It'll make you see what you are and, and where you have failed. And the Bible says, or Paul talk, talking to Timothy, said there's going to come a time, and I believe it's already here, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, what they want, what they desire, they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, we don't want to hear that. We're not interested in all that stuff. All we want you to do is tell us a few little fairy tales, David and Goliath and all these things, and, and don't bother us. Let us be comfortable where we are. And if you don't do that, we'll just push you out and we'll get somebody that will. That's right. That's the truth. Amen? Yes. And then it says, They shall turn their ears from the truth unto fables. Now this speaks of willful rejection and ignorance of truth by those who prefer to believe lies that they may fulfill their lust. Second Thessalonians 2, 11, 12 shows that God will allow such to believe lies and be damned. He don't want it to happen, but He allows it to because they're not going to listen. These are things that happen under the spirit of the enemy. Now the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians speaks a lot about that, and you need to read First Corinthians. It talks about prophets speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit to the church. It talks about men that speak by the Spirit. It talks about and shows verbal gifts through men that actually are manifestations of the Spirit. First Timothy four one. Through Paul is the instrument that is writing this. He said, "He says the Spirit speaketh expressionly, distinctly, explicitly, urgently in the last days." You see, in the last days. Now we are in the last days. Maybe not be in the last hours of the last days, but certainly you can see the signs of time in the church world. You can watch it as it divides itself. 
You can watch it as Christianity desires something other than hungering for the Word of God. You can watch it as church is empty and if they're filled up, maybe it's twice or three times a year. And you can watch individuals who call them Christians. You can watch their walk of life. You can watch them lie and steal and cheat and deceive and all of this and still claim to be Christians. And the Bible says this is going to happen in the last days. And it's going to get worse as we go on. No wonder, no wonder Paul said, now Timothy, you better listen to me. Because you've got a responsibility on your hands and you've got to discharge that responsibility. You see, we could add hundreds of references in the Old Testament and New also. Might be a good idea if you would uh, just begin to read on some of those things. It might take up some of your time. You might not be able to feel as sorry for yourself as you would be if you didn't have any uh, time to feel with that. So you see, Second Kings 22, 6 and 22, illustrations of prophecy from three of these different sources. If you'll read that, you'll see all three of these, the human spirit, the spirit of the enemy, and also the Holy Spirit. You'll see all three of those in action in Second First Kings twenty two six and twenty two, you know, First Kings twenty two six and twenty two, and you'll see every one of those spirits, one individual speaking out of his own spirit, other one is a lying spirit that comes, and out of all of them, there's just one true prophet. You'll probably gather that. I think I think the prophet is Micaiah, and uh, he is called in by the king to tell whether he ought to attack his enemy or not. And all the other prophets said, do it. And the king asked if there's not a prophet of the Lord someplace else. And this one said, yeah, there is. His name is Micaiah. Don't quote me on that. I believe that's what it is because I'm trying to draw from this worn-out computer up here. But you read that and uh, you'll find out that this individual says, yeah, there is one, but I don't like him. Because he always tells us things that we don't want to hear. <laughs> and so the king says, call him anyway. And so he comes and says, well, what did they prophesy? And he said, uh, they prophesied this and this. And this prophet said, well, uh, what they said is all right. The king said, I adjure you this you tell me the truth. And so uh, this prophet says, well, I see Israel and I see your army scattered and I see you taken captive. And this other individual comes up and said, didn't I tell you? He always prophesies bad things. So you're going to see all three of them in action. So you can see how they work, okay? Now, how do you check false prophets? How do you know that? How do you know them? How do you understand which one they're talking through? The satanic spirit, the spirit of man, and the Holy Spirit. But before we test the false prophets, let us make mention of the fact that God has allowed them to prophesy. God has given signs and wonders in the past in order to prove His people's true love for Him and for the truth. You can find that in Deuteronomy 13, 1 and 5. You need to check on that. But God allows them to... And he sends them or allows them to go, and they do signs and wonders, and some of those signs and wonders actually come to pass. And yet he asks you not to believe it. So today we have those who prophesy and their prophecies come true, yet their message is a mixture. 
It contains enough truth to make their error seem real plausible and to immunize uh, you to the whole truth. And our question is, are we being taken in by that? Are we studious enough in the Word of God, understand the Word of God, truth of God enough to understand and know when they slip in a little falseness or erroneousness? Of truth is the first test. That's what you try a prophet with. That's what you try an apostle with. That's what you try a preacher with. That's what you try a pastor with. That's why you try what you try an evangelist with. It is a test of truth, whether the Bible says it or condemns it. And if you don't know what the truth is, you can't try it. The scope of falsehood and error is broad. It extends from that which is obvious to that which is obscure. In other words, some things are just real obvious. But then the shrewder Satan gets the more he hides it and covers it up until if we're not really scripturally sound, it'll be so obscure that we won't know that it is. Makes you want to read the Word of God, don't you? Makes you want to get into it and understand it. Makes you want to take away some television time and some uh, pity party time and all of this and, and decide that you do have time enough to read the Word of God. That's always time if you want to do it. Now this is, you see, unbelievers are vulnerable to any bill of goods. They don't know the Bible, but to the believer, one of the greatest threats is mixture. Just mix a little falseness with good, and many of them are angels of light, disguised and concealed and operating under the cover of churches. Perhaps the best policy would be to apply the principle, shun the very appearance of evil. Yes. The first category here would be, First, what he would try to do, because this would be the obvious, is those who deny the incarnation and de deity of Jesus Christ. First John 4 and 3 says, Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come into flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. That is not the Antichrist. That's some of the spirits of the Antichrist working and moving. They have ever since uh, John's day, ever since Paul's day. They've been working. It's going to uh, culminate and going to climax in just one Antichrist. But there's many Antichrists working today. Whereby you have heard that it should come. And even now, John says, already in the world. It's already working. It's already deceiving. And this could be added to the prophets who prophesy in the name of other gods. You see, if somebody comes up and said, uh, prophesy in the name of Baal, prophesy in the name of the prophets of the grove, or prophesy in the name of Muhammad and all that, we're not going to buy that. We know, we know better than that. Those out in the world may not. Those that have never heard of Jesus Christ uh, or His power may not. But we would know better than that. And that would be the first test. Uh, we would know better than that. You notice now in the days of Jezebel, the false prophets were the official prophets of the kingdom of Israel. That's scary, saints. That's scary seeing the direction that our nation uh, is almost taking unless there's a revival, unless there's a reoccurrence of that, uh, that, that actually standing in the very presence of us 
of our White House officials, whoever they are, and whatever uh, name they come after, Democrat, Republican, Independent, if they're against the Scriptures of God, they're not what we want. And so it's scary when you think this could come in our Supreme Court and in our White House and almost become the official thing. Check some of your schools. There's a school right now that's had a picture of Jesus in their hallway since day one. Somebody come along and didn't want it there and the school has got to move it. Now I'm going to ask you what's happening. I'm going to ask you who's ruling. I'm going to ask you what has happened to the church. I'm going to ask you where the voice of the church is. We have a few things moving together in our schools. Nobody seemed to be that concerned about it. But in all of that, they were the official prophets of the kingdom of Israel. And when Jehoshaphat of Judah went down to join Israel in the battle against Syria, and that's what he was talking about, he found in Israel one true prophet to 400 faults. Also going to find that with Elijah. In fact, he had 850. 400 false prophets, 450 prophets of the grove. And out of all of that, then that might suggest a realistic ratio for spiritual apostasy in the last days. That might, and that's scary, to know that there possibly could be 400 false prophets, false ministries to one true one. Now, God used false prophets, and God did use them, by allowing a lying spirit to come up on them to instruct Ahab to go to battle that he might prove his one true prophet. One of these days, saints, and it's happening now, God is going to prove his true prophets. There's not going to be any guesswork about it. People are going to get serious enough, concerned enough, that they're going to want to hear the truth out of the mouth of the individual anointed of God. And they're going to be studious enough to know whether it is or not. And God help Community Chapel to get wisdom. God help us to get in the Bible and stay there and understand it. Read it. If we don't understand it, it won't be long until somebody talks about it. And God allows to prove that in order to bring vengeance upon His enemy. What a warning for one day, and for our day, the false prophets play a vital role in the wrap-up of God's program. Now, we don't need to expect them to not be here. They're going to increase. We have to watch for strains and false doctrines. They're going to come. And they're going to come out of the mouths of individuals that was one time in the faith that people trust. And they've departed from the faith. If one harbors these, they should be rejected even if their prophecies come to pass. In other words, saints... What the world is looking for is signs and wonders, and that is not the test of a true prophet. Because there's going to be false prophets able to do this. Even able to do it now. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must be also heresies among you, 
that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. That's Paul talking, New Testament, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. He says there's going to be these heresies among you so that you can be proved as to who you are and where you are. You see, God still tests our love for Him and our love for truth. As well as causing the contrast of truth and error to be established and identify them both. Another test of truth is whether the word comes to pass or not. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, Deuteronomy 18.22, If the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. There's an examples of this in Jeremiah 29.31.32 and 28.1-17. See, again, Jeremiah is the primary speaker concerning false prophets. And it's important when we look at this to realize this is not the first test. The first test, we've said, is truth. We have already mentioned the test of truth ought to be applied to the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. This test should all be extended to all the doctrines of fundamental Christianity before going on to the test we just mentioned. If one fails the first test, this is an official warning signal. In other words, the test of truth. Now then, I want to talk a little bit about Deuteronomy 18.22. I notice that this is one who prophesies in the name of the Lord, but out of his own mind instead of the true Holy Spirit-inspired prophecy. Often a prophetic word might come that is not given by a false prophet as such, but one moving in the realm of his own spirit, confusing it for the Spirit of God. And God tells us, not to be afraid of that or not be concerned about uh, such prophecies after they've been, because they're going to be proven false. And he says this is the easiest way for a person to lose respect and influence of his ministry. It's hard when we have spoken out of our own spirit and uh, said things out of our own spirit that has not happened, does not happen. Uh, it is the best way in the world for people to lose respect for your ministry. And respect for your in, and your influence. So the Lord says, "You don't worry about that. Truth will prove out." And then another test is a test of greed. Find out what they're wanting. Find out what they're desiring. Micah 3:11. The heads judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. First Peter 2, 1 and 3. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there were all shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. You see, he's talking uh, about churches that's been established under Peter's direction, under Paul's direction, and certainly laid the foundation true and pure. And he said, there's going to be people coming out from among you. even denying the Lord that brought them, and shall bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow, follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the word of truth shall be even spoken of, and through covenants shall they with fade words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In other words, that is quite a warning and quite a pronouncement of judgment upon false prophets. Philippians 3.19 would be some more good study. Acts 8.18-24. And again, Jeremiah 5. 
30 and 31 and 6 and 13. You see, this was what we just talked about was the prevailing condition during the decline of Judah. The test not only applied to the prophets but to any ministry. And then there's a test of fruit or the character of the individual. I think I need to open up the Bible to Matthew 7, 15, and 22. I don't have that mark, but I feel like I need to read that. 7, 15, and 22. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? So every tree, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Now I think I've got to say something here. It says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. They're not coming in shepherd's clothing. But they're ending in among you as part of you, as sheep. They may not even hold the pulpit. They may not uh, have the pulpit as, as, as their launching pad. Right. But it says they're false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing looking just like you, just like a saint. Not as a shepherd, not as a guide, but just like you. Yeah. And so it tells you to look for their fruits. Does their life prove what they're saying? Do they live what they talk? Come on. That ought to be hard if we watch. Now notice the mixture also of that, uh, that passage. They call Christ their Lord. They prophesy. They cast out devils, do many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. There's a great significance whether a ministry produces the fruit of flesh or of the Spirit. Now Galatians talks about that. You find that in Galatians, the fifth chapter. And it's a significance whether peace and harmony, edification follow, or whether there's confusion, strife, and carnal mindedness. Anytime you find somebody entering among you, that stirs up confusion and strife, you've got you a problem. Right. Right. Amen? Yes. I'm going to say it again. You've got a problem. You need to mark that individual. Because that is not of God. And that possibly could be somebody in sheep's clothing. Okay? Enough said about that. You see, the fruit of the ministry is ultimately tested by what it produces in other people. One ought to be immediately suspicious if a minister keeps, and the ministry keeps strange company. Or you can read a man's character by what kind of people he attracts. The fruit test also must include the areas of our personal life, our personal conduct, and our personal behavior. You can act as goody-goody as you want to right in here. And most of us really feel really religious when we come to church. We feel real pious. We come and we 
take to our seat and we sang the songs of Zion and we listen, at least look like we're listening intently to the Word of God, but that's easy. Your test of your personal life's out there. Your conduct and your behavior, how you act out there. That's what people see. They don't see you in here. Isaiah 28 and 7 says, The priests and the prophets have erred through strong drink. They have swallowed up a wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. We have to always remember for our protection that the real signal of all pure ministry is not miracles. It is not, uh, it is not the power to do this or that, but the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And I'm going to caution you again, there will be miracles, but that is not the test of truth. I've had individuals say, oh, if we could just get miracles, 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 well, that's fine and we'd like to have it. I'd like to see uh, this place covered with, uh, uh, with uh, the uh, crutches and all these other things, you know, that, that used to be. But if we don't know the truth, we don't know where we're at. We don't know what's going on. Then the next test of prophecy, whether it's false or not, is the love test. 1 John 4, 1 and 21. That's a long uh, passage of Scripture, and you ought to read that. That's, that uh, this comes from the uh, apostle of love. He tells you some good things. And when you read over this passage, you see a true prophet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is going to operate on the basis of love. That's where one is an error that is all easily detected. They have a ravenous, greedy, wolf spirit rather than the spirit of love. Right. They may come again in sheep's clothing, which is an outward display of love. Satan even has a counterfeit by love, for love. All you got to do is go out in this world, uh, human benevolence. You know, we give this and we give that. And so on, the Masons and all these others uh, claim that they, they're loving and doing this. It's human benevolence. This is not divine love. But that's Satan's counter fit for that. And people are fooled into the idea that if they do that, they're going to get into the kingdom of God. What about the blood of Jesus? That's a test of truth, saints. Some today ride on that. Humanitarian ticket. But when it really put it to the test, it is manifest that they are inspired by a spirit other than the Holy Spirit. Even the Old Testament, the true prophets mixed love and mercy in their stinging, rebuking remarks. And they had them. But they mixed love and mercy. And if a message is continually harsh and rebuking without any love, without any bomb from Gilead, without anything of that coming sometime or other, it ought to come under suspicion. Now the summary of this, and we're about done. 2 Peter 2.1 speaks about false prophets among the people and false teachers among you. I can't stress that enough. Peter talks about it. Acts talks about it in Acts 20, 29 and 30. They speak of wolves who enter from without and also men rising up from among them. Those who go corrupt among the people probably are the greatest enemies, more subtle in their delusions and does more damage. And a lot of times you can even straighten out. The foundation of all prophecy is delusion. This might be on the soulish level, satanic, or both. And it's essential for young ministers and young lay members to develop the safety of multiple ministries. 
That is proven, brethren, that provide necessary checks and balances. You've got young people, young ministers, immediately throw a Bible under their arm, go out and say, I'm called to preach. No checks and balances from older ministries, no guide, a law unto themselves, doing what they want to do, learning things what, the way they want to do it, and under obligation to nobody, and it's unscriptural. That's true. That's the truth. But it's not easy. I grew up under a hard taskmaster. Brother Robert, you got it in. I mean, I grew up under my father. What he said he meant. He didn't care to tell me about it from the book. In front of everybody. But I learned. All right? But anyway, in this context, there'll be more mature truth and somebody to guide us in developing a ministry, regardless of what it is as well as the gift of discernment of the spirits operating and all that. Notice Samuel grew under leadership. All Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that he was established prophet of the Lord. And you have to ask, how many witnesses do you have as a prophet? If you're a prophet, you're going to have some witnesses. Samuel did not promote his, his uh, ministry as a prophet. He didn't defend his ministry, and he didn't try to gain recognition. And yet God caused everybody to know that he was a prophet, and he simply obeyed God and functioned in his office. You don't have to run around and tell people what your office is. God will make room for it. All right? And God will see that you can function in your office. Also, it's New Testament pattern for our prophets to minister in multiples and not alone. It would simply... And I've said this often when somebody comes in, especially as a prophet, and they start praying for individuals. I have asked for them to have one of us, my wife and I, or somebody there to listen to what they tell the people. It's not that I mistrust them so much. It is that I want to know if something comes back, I want to know whether it was said or not. And any time any of us, even here, have a word to say to somebody else, Get somebody there with you. This is for your safety. Don't be saying something out to somebody else, just you and them, because they can misconstrue or they can use your words against you and hurt you. And you've got nobody to prove whether you said them or whether you didn't. This is just a caution. This is just telling us that this is the way it ought to be to help us and also help the individual. Okay? Protect them. You see, this, well, let, let me just give you some scripture to verify that. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and 30. Acts 12, 1. Acts 11, 27. Acts 15, 32. And this prevents error. This prevents self-importance from developing among, uh, as well as uh, uh, greater influence upon them, those individuals as they minister. And if we have somebody there, and preferably it should be the pastors or one of the pastors, if you have somebody there listening to what you say to that individual, that individual will feel more comfortable, and later on nothing can be said. And that ought to go good, I think, for our ministers here, every one of us. We should not be ashamed uh, to move out in God and do what God tells us to do, but for our protection. We ought to have somebody listening. 
Okay, that'll be enough for tonight. I'm sure you're saying amen. And we'll start in on the ministry of the evangelist. Uh, we'll possibly probably be gone next week. So Brother Robert will be filling the pulpit and uh, you be out here. Okay? Because if we get, keep getting any less, we won't have anybody to preach to. But... Stand with me.